Good afternoon, morning, night, daytime, whatever time it is, wherever you're at in the world, while you're listening to this wonderful podcast. I'm sorry for not hosting anything myself recently or giving any more discussions. If you would like to hear more discussion topics, uh, I've got a plan for some more, but I would love to hear what you have to say and suggest. And you can send your suggestions to molarministries at gmail.com. That is M-O-E-L-L-E-R at gmail.com. As for now, in this week's episode, and I'm sorry that I got it out a couple weeks later than, than I originally intended. That's my bad, and I take full responsibility for that. I would like to say that this was... The most interesting one that I partook in. The most interesting interview. And I respect... Uh, I respect Dr. Cosart a lot. I respect his opinions. His values and the views that he holds. And again... This is just an interview. These are his opinions. Don't use them as cannon fodder for... Your arguments. He does provide information... True information to support his opinions. So... Interpret the true the, the, the evidence for what it is and the opinion for what it is. Please please discern responsibly. Please discern responsibly. In this week's episode, we I got to talk to Dr. Kosart on the topic of women uh, serving as pastors. And a little bit about women's ordination and the doctrine of ordination. I hope you enjoy this week's episode of the Adventist Hour podcast. I'm your host, Pastor and Training Andrew Muller. And with me today, as I said a couple times already, is Dr. Kosart. Say anything until you ask me, so. Before we begin our discussion on the topic of women as pastors and whether or not they should be able to fulfill that role, would you please tell those who are listening and watching a little bit about yourself, Dr. Kosart, such as how did you arrive at Walla Walla University, what you specialize in, and things like that? Yeah, sure. No, I uh, used to pastor, graduated from Union College with a degree in uh, theology, and after that went to pastor in the Minnesota Conference, pastored associate pastor in a church in Minneapolis, and then went on to get my uh, MDiv at the seminary and came back and pastored in Minnesota some more, and then in Kansas, and then Indiana. And after about 10 years of pastoral ministry, I decided to go back and to get my PhD. Went to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and studied uh, early New Testament history, particularly manuscripts. So the New Testament, but uh, early Christian manuscripts, and finished that degree in 2005, just when I was then hired to come here to Walla Walla University, and have been here now for uh, ever since 2005, so about 15 years. All right, and I enjoy having you as a professor too, so. Great, glad having you as a student too, Andrew, so. I, I know that the topic of women being pastors, and in respect to that, them being ordained has been a hotly debated one throughout Christianity for the past 
what I'd like to think 30 to 40 years, especially. And it all comes down to the passage in 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 15, where Paul writes to Timothy. And I will be reading out of the New King James Version. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. I know for me personally, this is the biggest hump when it comes to the subject of women being pastors and let alone them being in, being ordained. How, how do you interpret this verse and why? Yeah, it's an interesting passage. And the passage itself doesn't really address uh, an issue of ordination. You don't see any conversation about ordination taking place in this passage. You don't see really any um, injunction that says they can't be a pastor. The challenge is, is this one verse that says a woman shouldn't teach or exercise authority over a man. And any serious Bible student wants to take the Bible seriously. You, you read it and say, well, what does it mean? How do I apply this? And of course, we have to recognize the importance of understanding the context, what's taking place, you know, why is Paul saying this? And then how do we understand that statement? So you could take that statement very literally and say, well, then a woman should never teach any man, you know, in general. And so you'd have to so you have to make decisions about what that means, is what I'm trying to say. So you say, well, what's a man? Is a man someone who turns 12 years old? Or is a man someone who's 16 or is it 18? Who decides that? So that'd be part of that question. Uh, is it all teaching? Or is it only spiritual teaching? Can a man have a female boss? Can you know a person who works at uh, Safeway, can his manager be a female? So we have to kind of look at this and say, all right, what's going on here in this passage? How should we understand it before we jump to any conclusion about, you know, really what, what, it, what it means? So yeah, this question, this passage certainly has been one that's been used to say that uh, a woman shouldn't be a pastor. It's been interpreted as some sort of spiritual authority in the context of the Bible. And therefore, there are some congregations where They'll say, well, a woman can't be a pastor or somebody even say, well, a woman could be a pastor, but she just can't be ordained. Or a woman could be a pastor. She just can't ever preach a sermon if there's any men in the congregation. So there's a whole variety of ways this passage has been dealt with. And the way that uh, I think coming to this passage. The first thing we have to do is look at the context. Why would Paul say this? Uh, what has he said elsewhere about this? Because we would assume that if the Apostle Paul is the author of this passage, and I'll tell you that I believe he is, I know there are some liberal theologians who would say, well, Paul didn't write this, so they can kind of wash their hands of this and say, well, it's a later, a later person who wrote this. It's not really Paul, so Paul never taught this. I don't believe that I think that Paul is the author of this book like the other books attributed to him in the New Testament. And when we go to those other books, we find passages where Paul affirms 
women in uh, a vocal manner in a worship service. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he talks about a woman having the right to pray and prophesy in a gathering, and he doesn't limit it with only women. So, so whatever he says here, we have to say, well, somewhere else he says that they can pray and prophesy. So how does that then affect this passage? Uh, elsewhere, for example, in Colossians chapter 4, he talks about two women uh, who were his, he calls them his colleagues in the gospel ministry. So that seems to indicate that they were not just making potluck and cooking the meals and washing the clothes. They seem to have had a, an active role in ministry. Um, and it seems like he's not limiting that to saying that, well, they came and they only did the children's story. So those passages, and we could go beyond that to the Old Testament as well, and talk about women who were prophets and judges and other things. So that's that I think has to be the context. Um, does that make sense to you just for making sure that we're together still in this conversation? Yeah, that makes sense to me. So then the next question, then we have to go and look at the book of First Timothy itself. Um, and what's going on in this book? And it's important for us to note that in the first chapter, uh, in fact, just the first few verses, that Paul uh, instructing Timothy gives him remain in Ephesus, and he gives him an injunction, a charge. He says, "Remain in remain in Ephesus." And here I'll, I'll, I'll quote the passage: First Timothy chapter one, verse three, halfway down verse three. He says. So here's why you should stay, so that uh, you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. And he goes on and talks about those who've kind of wandered astray. So we know that there are some false teachings taking place in the city of Ephesus. And Timothy's job is, is to make sure those people don't have a voice in a religious service, in, in the context of the church. It's like, they should not be teaching those things. And he, he tells us down in verse uh, six that certain persons have swerved from these things. They've wandered away into vain or empty discussions. And here he says what they want to be. He says they, they want to be teachers. So we know there are people in the congregation who are trying to exercise a spiritual authority uh, in the church. And Paul's saying they're not fit because they're not preaching the truth. Now, so that's one of the contexts to look at that. The second context I think is beneficial for us is to go to chapter five. And in chapter five, Paul has all kinds of instructions for women in the congregation. In fact, Paul talks more about women in 1 Timothy than he does in any of his other epistles. And there's some problems with some of the women in this congregation, so much so that uh, he talks about them in verse 13, uh, speaking about young widows, people who have lost a husband. And he says that, um, he says they need to marry and resume life. And he talks about the problem that they were having. He says, Besides that, he says, if they're not married, if they're not involved in life, he says, they learn to be idlers. 
going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips. So they're they're saying things, gossiping, and they're busybodies saying what they should not. So here's enlightening to notice that there are women who are going from house to house saying things they should not. And they seem to be part of this overall problem, some way connected to the church in Ephesus. And so much so, he says down in verse 15, that some of them have already strayed after Satan. So we identify there's a problem within the community of the church and is particularly affecting at least some of the women in the congregation. So much so, he says, they're saying things they shouldn't. They followed after Satan. And he identifies that, that they're going from house to house. Now, it's interesting to consider in the early church that church was not a building that was somehow separate from the lives of the people. Uh, the church was people's houses. They met in house churches. We have tons of references in the New Testament for house churches. So, so this may indicate, we don't know for sure, but it may indicate that in the context of house churches, they're saying things they should not. And if that's the case, if that's the case, then that would feed right into, it would make sense of the injunction he has in chapter two, saying that these women should not be speaking and teaching. They need to be learning because they've been deceived by, by falsehood. So that, I think, is an important context for understanding perhaps the situation that's there. Because again, for me at least, I don't believe that the Apostle Paul is, is a, uh, you know, uh, what are is it? Schizophrenic. I'm pronouncing it wrong. I can't say it right now. But schizophrenic? Yeah, that, that he is, that he'll say one thing one day and the opposite thing the other day. It's like, I, I think he's, a, he's consistent in his theology. We don't find him saying, you know, uh, different things about, well, salvation is not by faith, but now it is. I mean, he's always consistent in his theology. So I have a hard time believing that he'd be saying, you know, one thing in First Timothy that would be totally opposed to what he said elsewhere. So I think there has to be a reason for his comments here. So that leads us to this passage about women in the church and he wants, he wants them to learn, but they're not ready to teach. Now, what's going on there? Is this just a general injunction where women shouldn't teach in any manner or exercise authority over any man? Or is it more specific? Well, if we look at the passage, the verse that you, meant, you mentioned, which is the crux passage, verse 12, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority. You said the New King James or have authority over a man. Now, it's interesting for us as Bible students, uh, and you're a student of Greek, you've taken Greek with me, so you're a Greek scholar. Uh, you know that you know this very well, that it's important for us when we come across English words to actually look and try to find out what the Greek word is, because that might give us an insight to what's taking place here. And so some people have interpreted this to mean that a woman should not teach 
or have any form of authority over a man. Now, if you look at these words here, it turns out there's something very interesting. The word that's translated to exercise authority or to have authority in the New King James Version. The King James Version actually translates this different. It actually says a woman shouldn't teach or usurp authority. So it's like sometimes she's trying to grab an authority that's not hers. And it turns out that this word that's uh, translated as authority is not the regular word that Paul uses for authority in a church. You know, Andrew, that the typical word that Paul uses for authority is exousia, to exercise power, to uh, exercise authority, to exert yourself. But that's not the word that's used here. The word that's used here is a word that occurs nowhere else in the New Testament. It only occurs here. It's authenteo. And it just turns out that that word authenteo, if we look to see how it's used in classical literature at the same time, it actually means to, to murder, to usurp. It's a, it's a very uh, strong word that seems to suggest that what's taking place in the church here is not your everyday type of authority, but there's here somehow a grab for power. And Paul's pushing back to what he sees from these women in Ephesus, who we know are already associated with these false teachings, that, that they're trying to put themselves forward and trying to teach in a manner that actually is problematic for the church. One, it's embarrassing for their husbands. Um, and so Paul wants to limit their influence here. So this seems not to be just like everyday type church behavior. There seems to be a different, different situation here uh, involved. Now, people say, well, okay, so maybe that is the case, but, but why then does he say that like the reason he gives is in verse 13, she should remain quiet for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. So sometimes this gets argued that, well, Paul's saying since Adam was formed first, he's in a position of authority and the woman was formed second. So she should not, therefore, you know, try to have authority like the man. Well, that's an interesting viewpoint because that takes us back to the book of Genesis. This is a reference to Genesis, the creation of Adam and Eve uh, in chapter two. And the question is that why would Paul emphasize here Adam being formed first? Well, we know it's true. Adam was created first. He was created on the sixth day and then God put him to sleep then took the rib from Adam's side and made, made the woman Eve. And the way this gets argued with those who are opposed to women in ministry, they'll argue that Adam being created first meant that Adam is superior and the woman is inferior. So they see this as a positional type situation. And therefore they say, well, a woman then shouldn't teach a man because she doesn't have that, you know, that positional authority over him. I think that's really problematic for us, Andrew, because we go to Genesis, the pattern 
is not from the superior to the inferior, but it really works from the incomplete to complete. So it's not like a hierarchy. Uh, if we said that something that's created first is superior, well, then we'd be, have to say that somehow animals were superior to humans because they were created earlier. But that's not the pattern of Genesis. As you know, Genesis always works from the incomplete, the creation chapter, from the incomplete to the complete. So God will make the atmosphere, but then he'll need to put the sun, moon, and stars in it. So he's, he's taking what's incomplete and then filling it. So when he makes man, turns out there's uh, the exact same number of words that describe the creation of man in chapter two in Hebrew is also the exact same number of words that describes the creation of the female in Genesis chapter two. So there seems to be like an equality uh, between them. And she's taken from a rib from his side, showing that she should not be walked upon or she should not be, it's not from his head. She's taken from his side as, as an equal. People say, well, yeah, but she was created to be a helper. So, you know, she should be the tag along. She should be like when the dad takes his hammer to go work on, you know, the roof uh, or just, you know, whatever, that his son comes along with his little toy hammer, you know, and, and gets to like tag along. Well, the problem is that's again an issue of us looking at English translation when we want to understand the meaning of a Hebrew word. And that word etzer in Hebrew actually means not someone who's inferior because of the 19 times that word is used outside of this discussion here. The person who's the helper, of those 16 out of those 19 times, the person who's the helper is God himself. And God is certainly not inferior. And the other three times that that word is used is of a military ally who's seen as an equal ally. So when I read Genesis 2, I don't see a hierarchy of a power structure. This whole idea of power exercising authority is really the way of the world. God's kingdom is to be different. And so I see a beautiful equality created in, in chapter 2. So then why would Paul why would Paul refer to that in this discussion of a woman not you know power grabbing this authority? And I think the answer is this. The women in Ephesus seem to be seeking to dominate. That's that word usurp that gets translated in the King James Version. They're, they're trying to usurp, they're trying to dominate over the men in the congregation. And Paul says. That's not right. For Adam was created first and then Eve. So he's trying to say we should show deference to the other. Instead of trying to dominate and exercise power and authority, that you should recognize that the man was created as your equal partner, not someone that you should try to dominate over. And so Paul here, I think, is trying to to restructure, to pull them back together, just like he does when he talks about the issue of head coverings in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. He talks about, you know, Adam being crane first and then, then Eve. But then, of course, he says, well, we also know that then, then women give birth to, to, to men. So then a man comes from a woman. And he talks about recognizing the other, 
and not seeking to shame the other, but honoring your spouse. I think that's what he's doing here. So when I look at this passage, Andrew, and I want to follow scripture, I, I take it seriously. I have a high view of scripture. When I recognize there's some interesting words here that aren't used elsewhere, and when Paul actually has female colleagues elsewhere, then that makes me kind of pull away from the view that somehow this means that women can't be pastors or they can't be ordained. That seems to be falling into this power structure again that I just don't see in, in the New Testament. So I see the situation in Ephesus as being a unique situation that Paul's addressing in that community. And so he is saying that a woman shouldn't teach, but he's not saying that has a universal worldwide, transcultural, always experience, he's talking about a situation in the city of Ephesus. Now, people will say, well, then how do we apply scripture then, right? You're just blowing it out of the water. No, 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 no. We always, scripture is always applicable, always applicable to our lives. But what's applicable here is the injunction about how we treat the other sex, and it's also an injunction for against false teaching. And sometimes in congregations, as long as, you know, people are faithful in their giving, sometimes we're not too worried about their theology. And Paul's saying, like, no, theology matters. Theology does matter. And those who are, are teaching falsehood about salvation, who are distracting our attention from Christ and getting us caught up in apocalyptic fear or you know worship me or salvation by works or any of those things that they really shouldn't be occupying a position of authority and teaching in a congregation because they're leading people astray so this passage i don't see it has a compelling piece of evidence that says i couldn't benefit from the spiritual ministry of a woman um, and so I don't see this as an injunction against female pastors, and I don't see Paul here arguing about ordination. In fact, ordination is a later Christian doctrine. Uh, I, think, I don't think we see it here in, in the New Testament. Um, and so I don't see this as applicable, or I don't see it being used validly to talk about the role of women in particular in the church today. That's, that's how I understand the passage. All right. Uh, that was that was interesting, uh, and I, I'd agree with you on all all the points you you made. Because, as I told you earlier in this quarter, it's one of the things I looked into over the summer was the topic of women's ordination, and well, women being pastors, and you have people like Deborah and judges who clearly exercised authority over over man not only was she a judge but she was also a prophetess so exactly so those things tell me that there has to be some sort of caution and also as you know in uh, acts acts 18 paul meets a couple uh aquila and priscilla and they're mentioned i think six times in the new testament and four out of those six times he mentions priscilla first <laughs> um and in Acts chapter 18, she, along with her husband, actually teach Apollos uh, in Ephesus. So 
I think we just are really, it's important for us to, to be what I'd call uh, whole Bible people. You know, there are some Christians who look at the Old Testament as the Old Covenant, meaning like it's all bad, you know, it doesn't apply to us today. Praise God, we're the New Testament Christians. Well, as, 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 as Adventists, we've always emphasized the whole Bible, that it's not the Old Testament in the sense that it's bad. It's, uh, it's you know, the Hebrew scriptures that predicted the coming of the, Messiah, of the Messiah, and that pointed to salvation even in the Old Testament, although they often misunderstood, but the texts themselves actually point us to faith in a Messiah. So I think it's important for us not to get so caught up with one passage that we fail to see the rest of Scripture around us. So I think that's a good principle of, of Bible study. Yeah, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly, obviously, as a Bible. Yeah. And now study. I just say that I, I have friends, Andrew, who, who you know, uh, would have a different opinion on this issue. And we're still friends together. Um, I would disagree with their with their hermeneutic and how they approach the passage itself. But um, I, I value and I recognize the importance of people who want to study Scripture and learning to come together and recognize that we can still be on the same team, even in cases when we, we disagree. And this one is a pretty sharp disagreement, but I don't see someone who holds a different position as if they're not a Christian. I just think they've not considered the situation in its entirety. And why, why I say that is when I was a young pastor, just getting started, a young student just like yourself, I wasn't so excited about, you know, women pastors. And in fact, I was opposed to that concept really uh, for until I basically came to Walla Walla and started doing some more research uh, into this issue myself. And as I look back, you know, why was I opposed? And it was because I grew up in the Midwest. And in the Midwest, it's pretty conservative, which I'm not saying that's bad, but it's just a conservative society. And I never really saw a female pastor. And so when I saw a female pastor, like at a large church, I was like, this is strange. Like, I just not, I just felt uncomfortable. And so I was, I was hesitant. I was not very supportive. But when I started going into the New Testament and like looking at passages like passages like this one, and I started looking at the arguments that were used to say, well, a woman shouldn't teach or shouldn't be a pastor, I didn't find the arguments convincing. When I looked at scripture, I saw that, hold on, there's other women doing things elsewhere. So, so it was the study of scripture that helped me realize that what I was uncomfortable with was my cultural upbringing. And I just didn't understand the scripture on this account. And so my view has changed now and I've been blessed. I've seen so many talented, just as you, you know very well, so many talented young women come through our theology program and they're doing wonderful jobs, wonderful jobs in churches. And certainly they can reach to people uh, in ways that I can't, um, particularly with other females in the congregation, they can, but they can give a different perspective. And I think I, I've learned that I need to be humble and I can learn from my students. I can learn from my colleagues and I can learn from women who have experience uh, and background. 
And I, I just don't want to be too prideful to say that that somehow I'm above that. Fair enough. Uh, before we kind of have this interview come to a close, could you go over the uh, doctrine of ordination and what that in? Yeah, that's a whole other big constant, big, big, big issue. But uh, the really the, the issue of ordination um, comes up later in the history of the church in response to heresy. And we see that in earliest uh, in the writings of uh, Ignatius, uh, second century church father, who uh, starts seeing uh, a direct relationship between the, the bishops that go back, the, the leaders of the church that go back to Jesus and the apostles themselves. And so in an attempt to fight heresy, they start this process of ordination where they uh, believe that they're passing on spiritual authority given from Peter, ultimately, through the disciples, through each of their successors. And by laying on of hands, it's like a power would leave me and go to that person and invest them with authority to function in a spiritual capacity. And that becomes the doctrine of ordination in Roman Catholicism. In the earliest uh, pages of the New Testament, we do have the laying on of hands. Paul lays hands on Timothy, for example. But the laying on of hands in the early church in the New Testament is not conveying a power, like somehow that I have a power that I can pass on, but it's recognizing the fact that God has already gifted someone for ministry. So it's more of a commissioning, more of a sending them out with our blessing and recognizing, you know, we recognize that God has placed his spirit on you and you have gifts for ministry and we are supportive. We want to recognize that and encourage you, as he tells Timothy, to fan into flame those gifts in Second Timothy, to use them. Don't let them, you know, die and, and atrophy, but use them and, and grow and develop them. And so I see ordination coming really more from this, you know, Catholicism, this mentality that, that rose after the time of the New Testament. And what we see in the New Testament is simply a recognition of the giftedness that God gives to people, a gift that God does not distinguish between men and women. He just gives gifts. Uh, as he says in Joel, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. So. I don't see ordination as an inherently biblical doctrine per se. Now we do use that in the Adventist church today. It's come through through tradition. We've accepted this, but biblically speaking, an ordination service should only be seen as a recognition service. We shouldn't fall into the mentality of thinking somehow I'm conveying power from me to you. That I don't believe is biblical. So then, and I, I come from the perspective that women can be pastors and can be ordained. Just to let my audience members know. <clears throat> so then why is it hard for the Adventist church, particularly since we are members of the Adventist church, to recognize a woman's ability and giftedness in ministry? If that's what uh, the laying on of hands and ordination is truly about. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting question. I think that there's been pushback, Andrew. 
I think ultimately the issue is, Andrew, I think it's pushback against the slide to the left in our society today. Um, we live at a time when the secular world is really rewriting um, the definition of what it means to be, you know, what gender is, right? So today you can choose your gender. Um, we see same-sex marriages. We see, you know, all the stuff that wants to change the way society functions. And there is pushback against that. And there are people who are genuinely afraid that, um, you know, women pastors, that direction, ordination, is somehow a slippery slope that's all part of this secular agenda to destroy, you know, the, the family unit. And so it's a pushback. And so I think it comes from a reaction against what they see, and therefore they're trying to build this wall. Unfortunately, I think they're building the wall in the wrong place. Uh, I think that there's a clear distinction between uh, same-sex relationships in the Bible, a much a very clear distinction about you know God creating a man and a woman. But I don't see this. Um, well, I, I, well, we should draw the line there. I don't see there. I don't. I see these two issues being very different. Uh, a woman as a pastor is very different than we have in the same-sex relationships, for example. So those are two different issues. I think we can be very solidly biblically and talk about women in ministry, but to go down the other route of the LGBTQ and you know recognizing that as as kind of you know uh, who God's created us to be is very different, and that's really not not biblical. So a fear of that, I think, has caused this to uh, be seen as an issue associated with that. Which which makes sense. And just reflecting on our conversation today, it took me back to the spiritual gifts where Paul writes out a list of spiritual gifts. And he doesn't distinguish that only men can receive the spiritual gift of teaching. Only men can receive the spiritual gift of prophesying or healing. There's no distinction between man and woman for spiritual gifts. So it's not like a woman doesn't have the spiritual gift for pastoral ministry. Now that I've been reflecting on it. Yeah, exactly. I think you, you, you've said it exactly right. Well, thank you again, Dr. Koser, for being willing to be interviewed. Uh, would you like to end with prayer or would you like me yeah. to do it? I'd be, I'd be glad to pray. That'd be great. Father, thank you for the chance we've had to visit and talk about important issues in the Bible. Some challenging issues, uh, issues that I know I've changed my opinion on as I prayed and studied and, and seeking to follow your will. And we just pray that uh, you'd bless uh, our viewers, our audience, as they reflect on this issue, to be able to not just take my word for it, but to dig deeper for themselves, to look at the arguments, and to seek to follow you in making a decision on this issue. Bless us as a church, too. We want to be a place that uh, preserves the, uh, the message you've given us and uh, people you've created us to be. And so help us to be a positive light to in that manner. Thank you for Andrew and his ministry and uh, ask your blessing on him as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. See you, Dr. Kosart. Take care. God bless. God bless. Bye-bye.
Thank you for listening to the Adventist Hour podcast. If you have any questions or want to DM us or want to share a testimonial with us uh, or do anything like that, we do have an Instagram account. at uh, It's under the Adventist Hour. So the underscore Adventist underscore Hour. You can DM, DM us there, or we also have a Facebook group page that is under my account, uh, Andrew Mulder. And it says I'm attending Walla Walla University. Or send us an email to mullerministries at gmail.com. That is M-O-E-L-L-E-R ministries at gmail.com. Again, it's M-O-E-L-L-E-R ministries at gmail.com. And if you'd like to host an episode of the podcast or anything like that, feel free again to DM us. May God bless this upcoming week for you all and uh, well, the students that are listening, be it in college or be it in high school, I know college students are preparing for finals in the next couple of weeks. For those on quarter systems, for those on semester systems, you have a, about a month to go. But may God be with you all. Amen.